Hi guys, welcome to the Last Set Podcast. Today I'm joined by Tanya Cassandra Road. She is an IFBB bikini pro who recently just got off a competition last week. She is the IFBB Omara Classic Overall Bikini Champion 2018. She's also a mother and she's also, big shout out to Richard Collins, one of, uh, I would say, his star pupils. So, Tanya, how you doing? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me today. My pleasure. Super I mean, excited. My pleasure. It was super. I'm very happy to have you on, uh, mainly because with this podcast, I love to have a whole different range of guests from different backgrounds. Yeah. You're the first, I would say, who the overall accolades that you have as a competitor, but also recently just got off the stage as well. Uh, so let's start with that before we get into anything else. Tell me what was this competition that you had to prep for and how did it go? No worries. Um, so I just recently did my debut in the IFBB Pro League, mm -hmm. which is a different division to what I have my, my pro card status in. So the IFBB Elite and the IFBB Pro League have split. Um, the split happened around 2018. They used to be just under one big IFBB banner worldwide, and then so they've split into two federations. So this was my my debut on the um, amateur stage for the IFBB Pro League, and that was two weeks ago in Perth at the state titles. Wow. So what were you competing in for the state titles? Uh, I did bikini first-timers. I did bikini novice and bikini open. Wow. So pretty much I could go any division, which was really good like not having any boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, very exciting. So tell me, w with the um, competitions that you did, yes. uh, what were the requirements that you had to like, go through? Because obviously there's different divisions and each yeah. division have a different requirement. So what yeah. were the requirements for yours? Um, so for bikini division for the pro league, um, generally you need to have um, pretty good symmetry and proportions. There has to be a really good flow in your physique. So um, what the judges look for in the IFBB pro league, I think a big difference for me was that they go for conditioning. Um, conditioning is really, really important in this federation. So you have to come in very, very lean for bikini division, um, which was a huge challenge for me and I loved it because I love that look. That is something that I've always just admired um, in bikini athletes is to get to that level of condition where you can see sort of not muscle separation, but just, you know, that there is a fair amount of muscle mass, um, well-developed uh, glutes, really well-developed shoulders, a, a good glute hamstring tie-in, uh, small waist, um, yeah, and then just overall good aesthetics. Mm -hmm. So you need to kind of be, you know, have good hair makeup, um, a bikini that suits you, a color that suits you. They take all of those things into account. Really? It is incredible. If you actually look at how detailed the judging criteria is, it's fascinating. And then obviously they take your posing into account too for bikini. Um, posing is very important and your stage presence. Because I always thought that when it came down to bodybuilding, and I generally believe that it came down to the way you physically look, just in terms of the, bo in terms of the body, Yeah. but also the posing, because posings, I think the ones, the bodybuilders I've spoken to, it's like 75% of it. Literally. So. Posing is so important. I cannot emphasize enough how important posing is, and especially for anyone who's considering bodybuilding or taking on bodybuilding as a sport or pursuing it, um, definitely you'd have to give so much attention to your posing from the onset. So as opposed to leaving it to the last minute, I would definitely recommend starting as soon as you start training and you've you know given yourself a goal to work towards, whether it's in you know a year or two years for you to jump onto stage, getting your getting a good posing coach and getting your posing routine down and then practicing it every single day is incredibly important. 
Mm, okay. So with the divisions that you did, yeah. were the posing at all different for the two? Um, no, no, no. So all the posing is the same. Um, okay. The posing between different federations for the bikini division is different though. Ah. So the pro league uh, is quite different to the IFBB elite. Um, so that was quite challenging for me because it's uh, something new, something different. I hadn't competed in a while. Obviously, I've had a baby in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took a lot of time off away from the stage. Um, so then coming back and starting new posing, um, doing a whole new routine and working together with a new posing coach um, was super exciting, um, but also very challenging. I see. So uh, obviously, congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. So uh, if you don't mind me asking, like when, obviously, when you had your first, it was it your first child? Uh, yes, first my ch- first and only. First and only. <laughs> Sorry, when you had your first child. Um, what was like the process of like getting back into the gym like after then that would then finally to the stage? Was it lengthy or what was the story behind that? Uh, pretty, I was pretty impatient to get back into the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's such a huge part of, honestly, it's a huge part of my identity. It's part of who I am at my very core. I need to train <laughs> every day for you know various reasons one of the reasons being for my mental health like I don't feel like quite like myself if I don't train mm-hmm. um, I love weight training it obviously the endorphins that are released especially post baby was especially important um, so I had my baby in December of 2018 and I was back training in the gym in about four weeks after that I had a cesarean section too so um, they generally say you should wait about four to six weeks and after about four weeks I started feeling like I could sort of move again did go in gradually though so I didn't go in you know obviously all guns blazing Um, but yeah it took a little while to kind of get stronger you I did find that in the pregnancy I'd lost a lot of strength and a lot of muscle mass and that does naturally happen Um, I was breastfeeding so the weight kind of went off pretty quickly but still you feel like you're a lot weaker and you have a lot less muscle mass the interesting thing was to see how quickly your muscle memory kicks in though I think, yeah, that, that is correct. Yeah, I mean, did you, that's actually one of the main things because when it comes to guys who come back from injuries who, or obviously women who go through pregnancy and mm-hmm. have been quite avid in the gym, because the, the body is used to being in this area where obviously it had the highest, this high mass and it yeah. felt like it was a comfortable place. Yeah. If it's working towards something, it's very, very easy to bounce back. So did you like have a certain window where you were just like, Slowly build, build. Oh, okay, here we go. Pretty much. Um, I was just, at the time when I started back training, I wasn't focused that much on, you know, nutrition or trying to stay lean or get back to a particular weight or anything like that. I would really just go off what I looked like, what I felt like, what my clothes sort of felt like. Um, and then just trying to eat a healthy amount of my, uh, like, and, and quite healthy food for the sake of my baby because I was breastfeeding in order to produce, you know, a good amount of breast milk for her and... Um, just trying to kind of keep myself at maintenance calories. So not going into a deficit, not going into a massive surplus, but then just kind of maintaining my calories. And I found that that was actually really good. And the muscle mass kind of recovered pretty quickly. Lovely. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So let's rewind the clocks back, actually, because to become uh, an IFBB pro and get your pro card, yeah. you pretty much have to go through years and years of training and all yeah. of that. And what was like the first like step for you was this something that you stumbled upon or <laughs> was it yeah very much so okay so very much so so like what happened like just one day you just woke up like 
I'm going to step on stage. <laughs> Literally. So I I think I'll probably start at the very beginning where I had not ever stepped foot in a gym before I moved to Australia, really. So Sorry, this was just for context, where are you for from? For context, I'm from a little country. Well, it's actually quite a big country okay. <laughs> with a little population called Namibia. Um, so it's sort of southwest Africa. A lot of people don't really aren't familiar with the country in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a population of like 2.2 million people, okay. um, just sort of southeast of South Africa. Um, so that's where I'm originally from. We moved to Australia in 2012. Um, and I didn't really have the opportunity to get into the workforce straight away because I didn't have, obviously, a, a work rights in Australia. So I was waiting on a de facto visa, um, and my lovely husband got me a gym membership and he, just to kind of stay busy when he's away because he works um, fly and fly out. Oh, he's a FIFO worker. He is. He's a FIFO worker. And um, I went. I just joined one of the big commercial gyms in Perth. And I, on the very first day that I set foot in there, I, I saw this girl with these amazing shoulders. And I am a little bit of a creep in the gym. I was just like, man, I just have to talk to this person and be like, where did you get your shoulders from? Can you just help me? And um, immediately we got to talking about um, competing. And she asked me, have you ever thought about competing? And I had no idea what competing was. So that's pretty much what sparked my interest. And I started watching like Generation Iron. And <laughs> that's how it <laughs> that's starts. Where everyone starts. Everyone starts at pumping iron <laughs> yeah. Generation Iron. Um, and then started following like a bunch of bikini athletes and... Um, I met someone at a party who was a coach and I thought, well, would she take me on as a client? And the rest is history, really. Wow. As soon as I went to watch my first show, I was like, 100%, I want to do this. I have a dance background, so oh, I was wow. super, super okay. keen to get back on stage. That was the next question. So mm-hmm. you mentioned, obviously, you migrated here, you had a dance background. Like, what was the story? What was like your upbringing before you've got into, obviously, bodybuilding? Because... A lot of bodybuilders that I've spoken to, a lot of them come from very sporting backgrounds. Yeah, and I'm so envious of those because <laughs> I don't have that at all. Really? So no, let's tell us a little bit about your background. What was it like growing up? And I'm sorry, I missed it. Where were you? <laughs> Namibia. Namibia. Oh, lovely. <laughs> I will not hold it against you at all. <laughs> Truth be told, my geography is awful. <laughs> I, Most people. Uh, so, yeah. So what was the story like growing up in Namibia? Um, so Namibia is... There's, we're a very culturally diverse place. Um, I was not very sporty growing up at all. I did, I tried, I dabbled in a few different types of sports. I have a little bit of gymnastics background, um, but it was predominantly uh, visual arts that I was into um, playing the piano and doing um, dancing. So I did uh, modern dance, which is kind of just a combination of all different types of dance. And I did that for about 13 years. So I, f- I find that that actually gave me a really good um, base and a really good foundation in terms of, especially in terms of stage presence and in terms of posing, um, because they are like, my movements flow a little bit more easily and I tend to learn choreographies quite easily, which is a huge advantage, I reckon. Um, But then in terms of having the structure for competing in bodybuilding, it's taken such a long time. Um, I was probably about 40 I think I was probably about 43 kilos when we moved here. So just a tiny, tiny human, very petite little frame, a small structure genetically. Um, so it's taken a long time and a lot of weight training to try and develop some sort of symmetry, like the big shoulders and the wide back that you generally need to create the illusion of the small waist and the hourglass kind of figure. Yeah. That's With that, what you're just saying, the body evolving, that's probably what, most bodybuilders love yeah. and competitors love about the whole stage process. Yeah. So if you go back in time, like let's say 
um, just for reference, when was your first competition? My first one was 2015. Oh, so seven years. Seven years. Seven ago. years. That's a big stretch. That's, <laughs> that's even, that's even stretch. better. Because when you go through that transformation over the years, you see your body develop. Oh, now my shoulders are wider. Absolutely. My back is thicker. And that's what keeps them going along the way. Yeah. Uh, but my also favorite thing, why it's always, I've always had absolute respect to bodybuilding, is that it's one of those things where you... What, what, what's the bit? It has to. It pays attention to every little detail. So when I meet uh, guys, who obviously compete or girls who compete, they say it's completely part of their personality. Yeah. And from the public perspective, they don't really understand. They get quite jealous of it because they're always talking about it. Well, it's because they have to pay attention to every single detail. It's like to every gram of protein, to every <laughs> hour of sleep, to every yeah. step. Literally, they're paying attention to every step they take in a single day. And then I always say to people, well, if you're paying that much attention to a girl, if you're paying that much attention um, to, like, obviously stepping on stage, why can't you transition something like that to, you know, business or and to family can. or to and kids? That's, that's the beauty of bodybuilding. I feel like anyone who's trying to achieve any sort of goal in their lives that would be, for me, a great place to start would be either make friends with someone who is into bodybuilding, hang around bodybuilders for a little while, or you yourself set yourself that goal and get into some sort of fitness um, routine, cleaning up your nutrition, and then having, you know, a program that you follow, so a training plan that you follow, train with a PT if you can, train with a coach, work with an online coach if you can, or someone that you can see in person who can kind of help you, A, stay accountable, and B, just kind of track your progress. Um, because honestly, for me, bodybuilding has been life-changing in that, in that way. I'm not someone who actually is um, very much, like I'm not someone who can pay a lot of attention to detail from just my nature. Intrinsically, I'm not that person. Mm -hmm. And bodybuilding has helped me develop discipline and just a relentless nature and determination and persistence that I didn't have before. So where those things were lacking, they've all kind of, I've developed those skills now and they kind of spill over into every avenue of your life. Mm -hmm. you, it just happens. It's just something that naturally happens. So it, it's inevitable that it will spill over into your professional life. It will spill over into your relationships. It will spill over into, you just find that you are sort of more in control and you're pushing yourself in all these different spheres mm. more than you usually would because mm. that's what the sport of bodybuilding requires it, it is it's hard it's like hard work you need to have a really good work ethic it, correct but it's also two things it's very selfish i mean that in a polite way yes. though it's a very selfish thing because you're when you're going for the prep your relationships are tested Absolutely. your work life is uh, tested your you know, you're not going out with friends on the weekend, so your <laughs> friendships are tested. Like I have my friend Mark who just went through a competition and the last two weeks he was just tired, he didn't yeah. want to work, <laughs> but he said that he can get to see his friends. And I was like, well, then it comes down to if your friends get behind you and they support you and understand what you're doing, then those are your real friends. But then I tell them if they're just saying, oh, you're selfish, you're this, you're that, those aren't your real friends to begin with. And absolutely. that's just life hitting you with, a, with an absolute slap of reality. Yeah. So that's what I tell. Uh, so that's the main thing. So it really, in it also, you find out who you really are because yeah. you can't cheat anything. And there you can't. And if you lie to yourself, once you start lying to yourself and you believe those lies, yeah. that's when uh, complacency kicks in. Absolutely. Uh, so that's the, obviously the main thing. But you've done it for so long. Yeah. Like, was this something that happened to you? Or, and how did you deal with it? 
Um, absolutely. I think that it's inevitable because it's such a selfish sport. It's also quite a lonely sport a lot of the time. Um, and there are certain things that are required for you to do, like, for instance, you know, getting enough sleep or staying hydrated or having your meals at particular times or not being able to go to different social engagements because you are in prep and you have a goal. And it's not just, you know, trying to explain to just the layman or trying to explain to general population that I can't just have this one cookie because it actually does make a difference in yeah, the grand scheme of mm. things. Or I can't just have this, you know, one glass of wine or whatever it might be. Um, so that to me, I have found that particularly challenging in terms of relationships. Um, I suppose the longer I've been in the industry, you'd think that it gets easier. But in fact, I think it, it because you become more invested and because it becomes m a bigger part of your life or a bigger part of your identity moving forward as you grow older, um, I'm finding it more challenging now than I did um, back when I just started. So I think because an, a lot of the time when, when you just start out in your bodybuilding or your fitness journey, um, people may look at it from the, uh, especially people close to you might look at it as, oh, this is just a fad. So it's just like a little phase that you're going through and it's something, you know, that you're trying out and then they're happy because it's something new and novel. They're kind of happy to support you for just the moment. And then once they realize that, look, this is actually <laughs> far more serious than we thought because here we are seven years down the track and this person is still relentlessly pursuing those goals yeah. and still doing the same thing like, you know, eating six meals a day and taking, you know, packing your meal if you're going to a social event. Um, it becomes a little bit more challenging, I think. Mm. So this competition that you just came off now yeah what was probably the most challenging part about it would you say um relationships relationships uh trying to i think i've 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 made peace with the fact that and i think this is as you grow older anyway you realize that you don't have to explain yourself and not everyone is going to agree with what you do not Correct. everyone's going to understand what you do Correct. and that is okay so the growth in this prep, um, the my most recent prep, has been exponential. My own personal growth. Um, I'm so, I feel so happy and so overwhelmed when I think back on this prep. It was a very short prep for me, but there was so much growth okay. on a personal level um, in terms of that kind of thing. Okay, so sorry, just for context as well, how how long was this prep? <laughs> this, this prep was about eight or nine weeks in total. Really, that short? This is wow. the problem. So I need to. Um, my coach was actually really kind to in fact let me get up on the stage um we did make a pact when i started training with him which was only literally mid-january i slid into his dms and you know <laughs> kind of contacted him and was like hey rich are you taking on any new um clients at the moment um and he we sort of made a pact and said if i'm not going to if i'm going to look out of place on stage um once it's time to get on stage we won't compete and I was happy with that. And we'd, we'd then just push it out to, you know, a competition that's further down the track because we knew that I'd need more time to lean down from where I was at the at the time we started prep. Um, so generally, I need to, what moving forward now, we'll do longer preps. Mm -hmm. So it'll be a much more gradual process for leaning down so that I can kind of cruise into a show and not kill myself <laughs> trying to get ready yeah. and be ready for a show on time. Because I always thought it was something that has to happen in the long run. Yeah. And that's what throws most people off. Yeah. So obviously eight, nine weeks, that's obviously quite short. But what was your like rule of thumb? Like how many weeks would you normally do? No, so my last, the prep uh, before having a baby, which was 2018 where I won my pro card was uh, also eight weeks. That was a shocker, but I think that it depends where you s where your starting point is. Oh, so if you if you're uh, you know in your building season you're staying generally quite lean 
um, so that it's really just leaning down um, and you've put on quite a bit of muscle mass in your off season, you'll be okay, I think, depending on where you're at. But if you um, obviously have put on quite a bit of um, just body fat in addition to muscle mass, you're going to need a lot longer to lean down. And then it's a lot more painful to try and get yourself there and puts your body and your nervous system under a lot of pressure if you're trying to do it in a shorter period of time. Mm. So it's just a smarter thing to just do it over a longer period. It's just a smarter way to work. It's one of those sports where it's a complete marathon, not a sprint. Absolute marathon. It's not like you could just jump on stage next <laughs> week. and look, no. no. No, of course not. No. So what was... Um, so, so what was the process then from when you had your first show to getting your pro card? What, what is the process you have to go through? Is it like a minimum amount of shows you have to do or is there a level you have to get to? Like, what is that? There isn't actually, interestingly really? enough. Uh, my first show was a different federation altogether. So I've done about three different federations. I think when you start out in your whole bodybuilding career, it just depend, it's just sort of finding your feet first and finding the federation that suits your physique. Um, oh. that, that really for me was quite the eye opener and also in terms of what you want to achieve in terms of your bodybuilding, like where you see yourself going. Um, for me, once I became familiar with the IFBB and the Olympia, um, the bikini athletes at the Olympia were really what I aspired to my physique to look like. Mm. Um, that's what I aspire towards still. That's my ideal physique in my mind. Um, and also, so it depends um, if you're doing a natural, you choose, choose to go the natural route or you choose to go the enhanced route. It would be, you know, different, a different way. Ooh, wow. So of the three, um, divi- sorry, the three federations. federations, what were the three federations you did? So the first one was INBA, okay, um, which is the natural bodybuilding association, so uh, international natural bodybuilding association. And then there's NABA. Um, which is the one that does like the Mr. Universe competition. Okay. Uh, NABA and the WFF. And then there's um, the IFBB Elite, which is the one that I've now. Oh, yeah. so that's and the one you found. And now the group. IFBB Pro League would be the fourth one. Wow. So what was what was the main difference? I know main it's hard to our question, but what was like the difference between the three, just for like, obviously for the audience? Yeah, just like a general overview. Um, yeah. INBA, um, INBA and ICN, they are sort of similar in terms of what they look for, in, in particular in bikini. Um, I was not competing in bikini for those um, federations because I was I had a slightly harder look, so I had a bit more muscle mass. Um, like I had, I generally tend to lean up on the top quite easily, like a bit of an Olympic sprinter. I th- suppose it's just Africa genetics, but... Um, I would generally have like all of my abs out quite early on in a prep and that's not something that they look for for those particular federations in the bikini athlete. So they would like a softer look generally for bikini athletes. They look for symmetry, proportion, um, a good shape, but not um, defined muscles as such. Whereas for their um, sports model division or fitness model division, they th- I would be better suited to that, f- that division okay. in that federation. Oh. So then you can actually have, you know, visible abs you can have some separation in your muscles you can have kind of delts that are a bit bigger um or glutes that are a bit more developed wow quads that are a bit more developed. you can't can't show abs in bikini uh it depends on the federation oh okay yeah. i was like wow because if you're naturally getting that lean <laughs> you would expect to get lean exact- everywhere yeah exactly. it's really hard it's very very hard to kind of fine-tune and to be especially even for the pro league you need a, a to be very, very lean. But for me, when I get extremely lean, I get very shredded on the top and not as much on the bottom. So that uh, genetics play a huge role there. 
Wow. So what would you say would be some, obviously now that you've been doing it for this long, how, uh, sorry, how many years you've done, mommy asking, have you been training? Like, uh, probably since 2014, I've been training. I say 2014, but then if I if I really realistically think about it, and I'd be like, oh, I've been training since... No, I probably <laughs> didn't train very well. <laughs> it wasn't real good quality training for mm-hmm. the first, at least the first two years, mm-hmm. um, until I started training with a coach mm-hmm. um, and a, like a personal trainer, mm-hmm. someone who could actually coach me and show me how to use equipment properly in the gym and like fine tune my technique and my form. Um, and then I would actually be able to start recruiting the muscle groups, different muscle groups properly. Um, before that, I would probably say I was just kind of at the gym, mm-hmm. whereas now I would say like I train. And I probably started training, training seriously like 2017. Well, that's still important because one thing I, <sighs> that uh, I've also been critical of bodybuilding at the time, in order for it to be taken seriously, I feel like there has to be a lot of prerequisites that go into it. Yeah. Like, um, it grinds my gears when I see someone who hasn't actually been training seriously for that long, yeah. all of a sudden just <laughs> yeah. like go on stage and win. Oh my gosh. Because it waters it down. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, from based on from your perspective, from your experience, what do you feel like are some good general guidelines to go through before you step on stage or at least yeah. start preparing to step on stage? Okay. Um, I would say in the first, my first recommendation would definitely be to find a coach and work together <laughs> with a coach. Mm-hmm. This, I can't stress how important this is on so many levels. Like for me, I, I really need a coach, even as a, as a seasoned athlete who knows how to train, who knows, you know, proper form and technique. Like I, I don't really need any help around the actual movements in the gym. Um, but I do need someone to keep me accountable. So for my mindset, I really need um, a coach to keep me accountable in terms of mindset and in terms of pushing me to places where I wouldn't usually go. Um, That's a lot harder than you actually think. And also someone to keep you accountable, like someone who you are checking in with and you're tracking your progress properly and someone who's actually real with you and genuine and tells you genuinely whether they think you'll be able to make it to the stage or not. Um, Someone who's just really straightforward and direct. That would be the first recommendation for sure. If you are someone who is going to struggle with um, routine, like really boring routines and boring kind of bland food, bodybuilding probably isn't the sport for you. Um, And if you're going to be someone who really struggles with, um, you know, attending things like social engagements without actually indulging or overindulging in food or um, alcoholic (laughs) beverages, Mm -hmm. you should probably kind of steer clear and maybe find another, another sport. Fantastic. Yeah. Do you believe there should be a certain amount of years of training? or um, I know it comes down to the person itself, yeah. but do you think a good rule of thumb, let's say for females, yeah. do you reckon there should be a certain amount of years of training they should go through first before they should uh, step on stage? Uh, I reckon, I don't think there's any right or wrong answer there. I think yeah. um, I've seen a lot of bikini girls, for instance, um, who already have a really good, either good genetics, mm-hmm. um, and so good genetics and talent really, um, who could probably get ready for a show, they really would just have to lean down so they could get ready for a show in maybe 16 weeks for their first bodybuilding show. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've got a dance background too so they wouldn't really struggle that much with the posing. Um, but then I've also seen, it, it all depends on where, they, where their starting point is. If you have a huge amount of body fat to lose and you know you, the person that you're working with can't really tell how much muscle mass is under all of that, mm-hmm. um, I would probably say it would take a little bit longer. So 
yeah, it just depends. It differs from person to person. I've seen some girls step onto the stage after just doing like a very short prep, maybe eight weeks, um, and they haven't trained before, but they might have a track and field background. Correct. Or they may have a gymnastic background, or they might have been swimmers because they've got really good shoulders and, you know, big shape in their back already. And I've seen them literally jump on stage and win everything over athletes who have been training for longer than that. Yeah. So (laughs) it's it's such a subjective sport too. It is. It is. (laughs) That's like... That's that's the main thing as well because um, first first of all it comes down to the question: Do you believe yeah. politics has a massive factor in bodybuilding? <laughs> this is a super controversial question. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't. I'm only I'm only asking it yeah. from uh, because I never step on stage. I stay away from that stuff. But yeah. I always like to ask. Yeah. Because you can never really make a judgment of something unless some unless mainly you've done it yourself. Yeah. Unless you've researched uh, it enough. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I take that lightly because. Uh, so where, where where am I going with this? Like you know when they get on when you when the people say subjective. People say, oh, he won because he's got those sponsors or he wins because he or she wins because she knows the judge or they want to push her. (laughs) Not going to lie. There are definitely, I've definitely heard similar sentiments um, in different federations. I can't comment on any federation in particular because I honestly haven't seen the actual evidence myself of that kind of thing happening. There have have obviously been a few um, different scenarios where people have said that kind of thing. So for instance, if... Um, there's a clear winner in a particular division that's pretty obvious even to the general population where you can see that this person just outconditioned, um, you know, has better symmetry, has better stage presence, just looks better overall for that division and then is beaten by someone who may not um, meet the criteria, at least the criteria that's out there in public um, for that division and then that person wins the entire category but then also happens to be really good friends with a head judge or something. <laughs> like, those have happened. There's yeah. definitely been a Sneak few a few envelopes <laughs> backstage. Sneak like a few envelopes, possibly. Here you go, <laughs> just a little, little favour. <laughs> a favour for a favour. Yeah, uh, there's, there's a few rumours about all of that, but I'm not too sure. I haven't experienced any of it myself. Mm, lovely, yeah. Thankfully. Because with bodybuilding being a subjective, like, it's... People need to understand you need to do this mainly for yourself not for the trophies, accolades, anything else. You yeah, have you to can't. do this for yourself yeah. because comparison is a theft of joy. Like I mean, as soon as you start stepping on stage, like oh, I'll never be that big as that person because my shoulders aren't wide enough or because my, le- you know, my genetics are different or that person's got bl- brown hair, <laughs> got blonde or whatever. <laughs> but it has to be in it for yourself. And then I tell people, now you've been training for this long. If you take... The first photo you ever did on stage compared to now, and you th- believe that you look better and you feel better, that's You've the win. You've already won. You've already, thank you. A- yeah. Absolutely true. Yeah. And that's the, it's the very important thing to remember in the sport. I'm a very competitive person by nature. I've always been competitive. Um, I've always tried to be a very high achiever in all different spheres, so academically, whatever it might be. Um, so, yes, it is, it's difficult because um, you are, in the sport of bodybuilding, you are going to fail many more times than you're actually going to win. So for me, the failures have definitely outweighed the wins. The wins are amazing. When you do win, it's a great feeling. The accolades are great. Um, and it's 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 good because you feel like your hard work is rewarded and it's recognized and it's acknowledged on you know the difference. that You've put yourself on that stage to be judged in the end. Um, but it's so important to remember that your why for competing 
um, and what you are trying to achieve. And that you, for me, literally every time I step on stage, it's just if as long as I've beat my previous physique, I am really, really incredibly happy. And the whole journey, it, it's so important. I think only once you get a little bit older and once you're more seasoned in the sport, does that become really true where the journey actually becomes, th that is the, the reward in itself. It is so fun and there's so much growth that happens in the journey and in the work. There's so much joy to be found in there that the stage is just a bonus in the end. Like mm -hmm. all the friends that you make along the way and all of like like-minded people being surrounded by people who actually understand and can relate um, and are excited as excited about bodybuilding as you are mm -hmm. is such a huge win in itself. Mm -hmm. So everything that we set into it, it's almost like there's a massive culture behind it huge subculture <laughs> yeah and one thing i ask about bodybuilding because i've it's what's the best way i could put it like when it's sport you're physically competing against someone yeah. you know like football yeah. baseball and all that and like uh it's it almost into a point now that do you believe that bodybuilding could ever be mainstream or do you believe it's always going to be a subculture like a little private thing I'm not too sure. I'm actually so surprised um, since moving here to see how much the sport has grown and how many more just general population people have become much more, it's become more attainable in the first Correct. instance. It's become more attractive and it's become more attainable. Correct. Um, so I'm, I'm just really interested in seeing how bodybuilding is evolving as a sport, but also how people are becoming more interested in looking a certain way. So that I think is the other thing. People's idea of beauty is changing. People's you know, perspective of everything is changing these yeah. days. So whereas for me, from back home, I think um, there, there is still, on some level, society is still a little bit, um, they're still a bit, daunt like they find it a bit daunting when a female, like myself, is pushing her body to the limits that I am or growing my muscles, um, you know, looking a bit bigger. And uh, it's, it's still a bit taboo. Whereas in first world countries like Australia, I think that it's becoming a lot more attractive and a lot more women are striving to achieve that look. Mm -hmm. I believe the best thing about it is that because bodybuilding is becoming more attainable to the public. Yeah. And it, accessible. It's accessible to the public. Yeah. It's changing the way that we as a culture define, um, well, no, no, sorry, hold on, I've got to be quick. I've got to be very careful for <laughs> this because it's like this. It gives people more of... Actually, no, the best way to say it is we're living in a time right now where human beings, we have never cared so much more about our image yeah. ever, <laughs> it's ever. Because like you said, the, 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 the boundary, uh, the, how we define beauty is obviously yeah. changing. Yeah. But the reason why I've always been big to push bodybuilding and why I actually think it's a positive thing that it's more is accessible yeah. is because it gets more people Moving. wanting just to be healthy Period. Absolutely. So nowadays in Australia, the, I actually talked about this weeks ago with my friends. Like, the the, the obese population's never been higher, <laughs> it's and it's it's got into a point where it's offensive to say the word obese. I'm like, I can't say a scientific. You can't say it. You can't say a scientific term. Oh, I'm getting cancelled. <laughs> uh, but but that's but the, then again, there's this. Extreme the bodybuilding can be in extent to an extreme. You see the Olympia level people, yeah. like the mass monsters, you see yeah. the girls as well. And but you gotta understand it's also easy accessible for local and it's never been like that before. Yeah. And now the sport itself is expanding. It is. I wouldn't say it's saturated, I would say it's expanding in a way that is accessible, but 
it helps steer people towards something to focus on. That's exactly right. And especially, I feel like all of the things that you're saying and also mental health has never been at an all-time low as it is at the moment. But at the same time, we've never had this much access to health and fitness and well-being and like holistic a holistic approach to wellness as we do now mm-hmm. um so it's so cheap to join, it's so cheap to join a gym i saw it like my previous commercial gym i think they were charging me like 9.95 a week or something and there was no I'm cancellation there. for the other <laughs> oh I'm, i love I'm, i love him i, I mean so i coach at the ufc gym but i go to one of those gyms yeah yeah, yeah. just and because I, I believe you know when you're there 12 hours a day coaching phones or like to kind of have a change of scenery yeah don't shit what you eat <laughs> Yeah, so you were saying? Yeah, uh, I think it's really good because I think anything that is, even if it's something as extreme as bodybuilding, if it's something that's getting people moving, if it's something that's getting people to change their habits from habits that aren't so good for them to habits that are good for them, I reckon there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm really actually happy for the evolution, like for more general population people to be joining this sport. There's enough space for all of us. It's not as if, you know, like you're saying, it's not saturated. Yeah. There's not a finite number of competitors that they could be. Mm. And the best thing about it is, not the, well, not the best thing, but people see this as well as a negative, but yeah. it's getting more and more, so becoming a sport where talent is a lot less required because initially that's what we used to think hey talent of everything yeah do you would you agree um i i think well someone there's a quote about that anyway um talent hard work will be talent when talent doesn't work hard yeah yeah. um which i I think is a hundred percent true i've seen it happen in the sport over the years so many times Mm -hmm. um talent is still important though i think that if you naturally don't you know if you're someone that's going to be very very you know, have a long way to go. I don't think it's impossible, but I think it's going to be a lot harder to get to, like, the bodybuilding level that's required, like, the level of leanness that's required. Correct. So... Jump onto the stage. It's not for everyone, literally. That's the the thing. But it's not... Yes, so so it's not for everyone, but the gene pool of the people who can do it is so exceptionally high. Yes. Because it's... Put it it this way. If I were to explain something like basketball, obviously... Genetics is a big factor. Obviously, I'm not seven foot tall. I don't have giant hands or anything like that. It requires a lot of coordination. Absolutely. But still, regardless of the body shape that I am with a certain amount of training, I can still go and do do bodybuilding. And you can still do pretty well. Exactly. And also, they've catered for so many different types of physiques and different types of goals with all these different federations that have popped up that it's much more easily accessible to everyone. Like, you probably wouldn't make it to the NBA, really, but (laughs) if you worked really, really hard consistently for years and years and your training and your nutrition and your mindset and all of those things, you probably could get to a pretty high level um, in bodybuilding. But not the NBA. you just committed to it, not the NBA. Yeah, that's the the main part I'm trying to get to. Like, it's it's not an easy path. It's a very hard path, but it's an easily accessible path. Now, so the next... Next part I had you had written down because yeah. it's also quite relevant uh, to your background mm-hmm. is um, if you don't mind me asking, are you a qualified PT or anything like I'm that? I'm not. Okay, <laughs> I'll that's give okay. You, I'll give you a little bit of background. Um, I have been doing my Cert Three in fitness mm-hmm. for five years. <laughs> it's literally a course that's meant to take you twelve weeks. Mm-hmm. I'm still doing it just because I literally. There's so many things that have happened in between. You know, full time work, being a mother, having a husband work away. We don't really have a support system here, um, so I've just kind of put all of those things on the back burner, um, which I'm looking to finish. I'll let you know if I finish it by September. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, Cert 3 in fitness is kind of what I'm looking to finish now. I'm not sure whether I'll pursue a career as a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. I might want to do it just sort of on the side. Um, I think just because I've had just over the years that many, in particular women and women who have had children, mm-hmm. slide into my DMs and just sort of either just for encouragement or just to just to encourage me, which is really nice. Or just to, you know, send messages um, saying that they're really inspired and they really, you know, they're following my journey, whatever it might be. Or asking for nutritional advice or um, training advice. And just for me to be in a position to be able to give them that in a responsible way, I would probably pursue it just as something on the side. Not something to generate a huge amount of money, but just because I genuinely love working with people anyway. I love interacting with people and I just want to help where I can. Because mm-hmm. I think it is possible. And I think a lot of, especially a lot of mums, mm-hmm. really need help after having a baby. Fantastic. So that was where I was actually <laughs> heading into. <laughs> so, because I just needed to ask, just for if anyone's like, oh, why don't you give an advice? It's not a video. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. So, you're someone who's gone through this now. So, like, yeah. my questions were going to be, like, what advice would you give to a mother yeah. who's, you know, trying to get into the gym and obviously has a full-time job. Yeah. So if you don't mind me asking, what was your full-time work? My full-time work was at my daughter's school. So I'm an administrator um, at an early school. Okay, yeah, fantastic. So what's well, the advice you would get to mothers with full-time jobs and who are recently I'm coming up? juggle all of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, probably resign from your job. <laughs> try and focus on, pick something that's most important to you. This took me a really long time to kind of get to and to make peace with the fact that I literally cannot do everything i have one plate and they are you need to decide what is most important to you and for me it was i need to pursue my passions relentlessly and i love bodybuilding bodybuilding is um, absolutely bodybuilding over everything for me um, except my child and my husband (laughs) Um, so i think you need to find something that you love and spend all of your energy and all of your focus on that one thing um, and then whilst trying to do all of the other things, planning is everything really is, um, for me doing a prep with a baby and a family and trying to kind of keep the household down with a full-time job with, um, and it was quite a taxing job as well. Um, I had to do things like prepare my meals in advance and then my child would eat whatever I'm eating. So generally she's got a, a diet of chicken and rice as well. Respect. <laughs> Literally lives on chicken and rice and lifts with me. If I can't get to the gym, she's just there with me in the garage training. Yeah. That's um, incredible that you have that support system yeah. because with with it as well, when you, it comes down to, this is when we talked about, it affects everything. So when you're a mother, you when you have that support system behind you, it just makes it a little bit more, more easier and all that. Yeah. Uh, now, what advice would you give to, uh, let's say, what advice would you give to a mother mm-hmm. who wants to step on stage and all that? Wants again? to step on stage. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I would probably, the same thing, um, start working in partnership with a coach. So find a good coach, find someone that you trust. Do your research though, initially, would be very important. Um, researching coaches, because it's the same thing in the coaching market, there are so many people who call themselves coaches at the moment. Um, not everyone <coughs> is the same. <laughs> not everyone has the same. I took some issues, I think. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I, go. <laughs> I love it. I just feed off that. Um, super entertaining. But yeah, so there are quite a few. It just depends. You need to find someone who you resonate with, someone mm-hmm. who shares the same value system or like same same values as you do, um, someone who can not over promise anything, um, and that can get you to where you want to be. So you set a clear goal together, and then can you kind of set the path 
or map out how you're going to get there together. Mm-hmm. Um, not having unrealistic expectations. So getting a coach would be the first thing. Um, get, if your coach isn't providing you with a nutrition plan or isn't um, qualified to, <laughs> to provide you with a nutrition plan, which is number two, you need to really check on. You, you do, you do. Now, that's something I've always said myself. I am... My background, where I tell everyone, is I have a degree in sports science, exercise, yeah. and health. I am not. Yeah. That does not mean I'm qualified to give nutritional advice. Yeah. So when I say anyone who comes up to me, I can help you. Yeah. I study this. I yes. read this. I'm not qualified, so I can. So you just kind of indemnify yourself, yeah. Correct. Yeah. So I give you. I I would give you guidelines. Absolutely. Like for example, I know how to track macros. Absolutely. I know how to obviously um. Obviously, so I know how to track macros. Mm-hmm. I know how to obviously, uh, sorry, uh, weigh foods, mm-hmm. basic things like that. That's yeah. going to get you in those healthy habits. I'm not the kind of per- I give more of a meal guideline rather yeah, than a guideline, not a, particular a natural guideline. plan. Yeah. When I say it's not a meal plan, because I'm quite positive that it's actually illegal to do that. It really is, and yeah, because and yet <laughs> we do slap quite a few people in the industry that are. And I understand, look, you're, you're always trying to set yourself ahead of your competition. Yeah. And being a personal trainer, it's a very, very saturated, not saturated, I mean saturated, but it's a, it's a, it's it's a very, market too. Th- there's there's a very vast majority of us and you always want to be one above your competition. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I believe it, it always comes down to staying authentic. Um, and obviously that's why I had Richard on because Richard's been, been a, personal trainer for more than a decade. <laughs> like it's literally a like 17 time. years or something crazy. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> and the longer you do something, the better it's always, always going to be. And it just comes down to patience. Uh, now, the next thing I wanted to ask was, because this is something I like to ask personal, mm. uh, people who step on stage as well. Do you believe that if you're working with a coach, that coach has to have been a competitor themselves? I don't believe that. Okay. Right. I, I used to. It's interesting, mm-hmm. actually, as you grow older, you evolve. And the more you spend time with people in the industry, obviously, the more you read, the more research you do, the more you, you know, change your opinions on certain things. So that's an opinion of mine that has changed over the years. Um, my current coach at the moment is Richard. Yeah. And shout I out Rich. Don't, yeah. <laughs> shout out Rich. Mm. Don't believe that he has um, competed himself. He, I did believe he mentioned that. Yeah. 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 But he is an exceptional coach. Mm-hmm. So he is happy to stay in the coaching sector and he is very good at what he does. He understands competitors. He understands athletes very well. Um, but yeah, he's also, I guess, interested in the general population. And lifestyle client coaching too. Yeah, that's where a massive bulk of a personal trainer's uh, what is Income it clients will company. come from. Yeah, yeah. Because if you actually, even though bodybuilding's growing, yeah, some people of the in the bodybuilding world like they can be very. Oh, <laughs> it is full on. Like I, would, I don't know if I would ever take on any prep clients. Really? No. Okay. Just because I mean, I'm. This is what I'm thinking. Compared to like a, a lifestyle client, mm. a prep client is going to yes, perhaps it would give you like a, a good kind of income. But I feel like on con coaches, it would be so taxing. Um, depending on who the client is, depending on what their expectations are, mm-hmm. and depending on how well you communicate your boundaries outright initially when you take on the client or agree to take them on as a comp client mm-hmm. i think it could be extremely taxing people right. generally expect coaches to be available 24 7 you know whilst you if you're you know having a moment and a little bit of a breakdown they they expect that mm-hmm. they you know the coach to be their friend and they're at one in the morning kind of thing mm-hmm. so i think it's a lot more taxing correct correct the main part 
or was sorry, saying for a little reward. Yes, yes. So the because to how much you got to pay attention to for a competitor mm-hmm. compared to how much you got to pay attention to general pop. Yes, massive difference. <laughs> <Huge> <laughs> difference. No so, comparison, really. So that's why, like, uh, uh, then it comes down to experience. But however, I've. I do agree that you shouldn't, but then again, I do also believe it does help to some extent. But I mean, one thing that absolutely grinds my gears (laughs) is when someone does something once (laughs) and they think they're an expert. (laughs) Oh God, that's equally bad. That's actually worse. Yeah, that's worse (laughs) because I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm still a white belt. I tell people, I'll train with you, but I'm not giving you any advice (laughs) because I don't even know what I'm doing is correct as well. (laughs) Literally. So that's why I don't... uh, So when... I've said this, and I've, I've had influencers with DMs go at me, but I tell people, just because you competed once on stage does, <laughs> does not, not make, make you an expert. expert. No, does not make it doesn't make you a judge, number one, because that's correct. also a whole other thing. Like, no, everyone's just kind of passing judgment on all and all sorts, and especially with social media, because we've just we've all got this platform that we can use to just you know express all of our opinions that we have. It's actually crazy. The it's very stringent process to get to. The, uh, to be a judge in a federation, in any federation, I think the, the training and is quite stringent, mm-hmm. in most federations at least. Um, you have to jump through like a few hoops to be able to be a judge mm-hmm. or to be considered to be a judge. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, but I honestly believe that if you're, uh, it, it does help though if you've done it. Yeah. The main thing again, because on this podcast, obviously it's all things like health and fighting. Yeah. The fighters that I've spoken to, they hate it absolutely hate it when the judges themselves, even though they have a background in judging, but they've never stepped inside the cage themselves, never stepped inside a ring. So how could they know if something's a point if you've never actually experienced it? Which is a valid point. It's a fair point. So I'm kind of like on the fence with this one because I feel like that is very true. Also for a coach who has competed, it might be easier for them to understand every, especially every phase in prep that you're going through and where your mindset might be at Mm -hmm. because they could actually relate to it because they've actually been there. Mm. So of course they would have some sort of an advantage, but then again, it just depends on the coach and depends on how long they've been in the industry and how many cl- you know, comp clients they've prepped if mm. they haven't jumped on stage themselves. Fantastic. And also that doesn't guarantee if you've had someone who has previously competed, doesn't necessarily mean that they'll be a good coach. Exactly. That That's actually a good point because it doesn't just transfer I think I remember skills. Rich mentioned that too afterwards. I mean, it all comes down to communication. Absolutely. You could be absolutely blessed with yeah. the best genetics, work ethic, but if you can't string your sentences together <laughs> to your clients... And explain <laughs> to them what it is you want them to do. That's exactly right. If you can't communicate in a clear, concise way to the client what you want them to do or what it is that you know they need to do or what they need to follow, it's all pointless, really. Mm-hmm. Fair point. So, sorry, we're just heading up to, to the end of this right now. Um, we've only got a couple minutes left. Yeah. Uh, now, one thing I always do at the end of every podcast for every, uh, every guest, I just want to know um, if any followers want to follow you, yeah. Tonya, where can they find you? They can find me on my socials. So I'm probably most active on Instagram. Um, my handle is Tanya Road IFBB Pro, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure myself. She's at the title, guys. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> um, or on Facebook. Um, that's pretty much all I'm on at the moment. Lovely. And before we finish up, is there any uh, sponsors or anyone you want to give a mention to? Shout out to. Uh, 
nah, nah. Just shout out to my coach, Rich. Um, yeah, he's a legend. Um, shout out to my teammate, Kimmy, my husband, um, who is awesome and my biggest support, and my little daughter, Aroha, who is the sweetest little girl you've ever seen and is probably a bodybuilder in the making. All right. Well, well, see, we can hold that, <laughs> hold it to that one. Oh yeah, and Savage Fitness Accessories. Thanks, guys, so much for sponsoring me. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much for listening, guys. That is the end of today's episode. Tanya, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me today. You're welcome, guys. Thanks for listening to the Last Set Podcast, and that is a wrap. <laughs>